You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Jets podcast. It's Thursday, January 16th, 2020, and this is your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. So good to be with you today as we talk about the New York Jets. It is a Thursday show. We are going to the mailbag today, so let's hop right in. First question emailed to me from Mark. John, in your opinion, if Sam Darnold only made it to the Ken O'Brien level, would it have been worth it to have drafted him? I ask, the, I ask this because I see this possibly as a reality. Sam might just be an average quarterback. So I would argue that Ken O'Brien is a little bit better than average, although he was before my time, so I would defer to that. So I guess the question comes down to if Sam Darnold is only an average quarterback – does that justify the selection the Jets made? And I have to be honest with you, I would say probably not. Uh, because you have to remember, the Jets gave up. It, the Jets did not just invest a top five pick in Sam Darnold. They gave up three second rounds. I mean, they sold. I mean, it wasn't as big as it could have been. It wasn't as big as some of the other deals you've seen in recent NFL history for somebody moving up for a quarterback. But three second round picks is a pretty big uh, haul to give up, so to speak. So I think that you know they they invested in Darnold around the idea he was going to be a franchise quarterback, and I think what makes it difficult is in today's NFL, it's possible. I think it's possible to win a Super Bowl with an average quarterback, but you essentially need to build a, a tremendous team around that quarterback because in an ideal world, what you have is a franchise quarterback. A franchise quarterback lifts lifts your team up. You know you can. He's the type of guy who can compensate if you have some weak areas on the roster because he raises everybody. He elevates everybody. Whereas if you just have an average quarterback, well, you need the pieces around him to elevate him, which means the pieces, which means the pieces all have to be really good. And it's, you can do it. I think when, with an average quarterback, when he's on a rookie contract, because you're not paying him much money, which means that there's, which means you pretty much have the full salary cap at your disposal to build the rest of the team. But once you get to the second contract, you know, once the quarterback ends his rookie contract, even an average quarterback's making really good money these days. You know, average quarterback, we're talking you know over twenty million dollars a year, and probably well more than that. So when your quarterback's eating that kind of money, you cannot possibly build up all the other pieces around him. And that's what makes it so difficult. So I think ultimately, you know, really having an average quarterback limits you to being a viable Super Bowl contender if everything else goes right to like a four-year window. And I'm not sure the Jets are going to hit that window with Sam. I think at this point you'd love to see the team make a big leap next year or the year after before Sam's rookie window closes. But ultimately I think it might be more realistic to look down the line. If the Jets are going to win a Super Bowl down the line, it means Darnold's going to be more expensive. And if he's more expensive to win the Super Bowl, that means he's going to have to be a difference maker. He's not going to be able to be just average. So all this is to say, I really don't think that it's going to be looked back at a success if Darnold is just average. You know, I, 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 when I think average, I think of like maybe Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota. And those guys just, they're not good enough for where they were drafted. And, I think when you add in the fact that the Jets gave up three second-round picks to get Sam, they're expecting more, and I think they need more. I think the Jets would be disappointed if that's all they got. Next question deals with 
Robbie Anderson, the non-trade of Robbie Anderson. Would you consider the non-trade of Robbie Anderson a mistake by Joe Douglas? We clearly don't have enough cap space nor draft picks to address and rebuild the needs of this roster going into 2020. It's a deep draft for wide receivers, and Robbie will command $12 million or more a year in a weak free agent group at the wide receiver position. You gave a grade A for the trade of Leonard Williams to the Giants, but what about the non-trade of Robbie? So what it comes down to, if the Jets are not going to re-sign Robbie Anderson, was it, mis- was it a mistake to not trade him? Well, look, here's what I'll, I'll say is, I don't think this is like a legacy move for Joe Douglas. I, I don't think it's the type of move we're going to look back in three or five years and say that this made a huge difference, difference for the Jets. So I, I don't want to overstate the significance, but look, I said it you know, near the trade deadline. With Robbie, the Jets were obviously out of the playoff race at that point. So with Robbie, it came down to a simple question. Are you going to resign him or are you not going to be able, are you not going to resign him? And you probably should have had a good idea about the dollars it would take to resign him. Should have had a good idea whether he his demands made financial sense for your football team. If you're going to resign him, resign him. And if you're not going to resign him, would it, anything they could get for him, even if it's a day 3 pick. You know, the rumor was that the highest offer was a fourth round pick. Well, you can get a decent player in the fourth round if you play your cards right. So I think that if the Jets were not going to re-sign him, then yeah, look, would you rather have a fourth round pick or would you rather have, you know, have a half season of Robbie with the team already out of the race in 2019? The fourth round pick's obviously a better pick. So I don't want to overstate it, but, uh, you know, and that's, if fourth round pick is, can be valuable, but it's not, it's not a franchise altering move. So I, I would be very careful before I really bash Joe Douglas over that. I think it's one of those moves where you, you look back on it and you say, you know, gee, they probably should have done that. It's not the type of move where you look back on it and say, why, what's wrong with the Jets? Why did they do that? Yeah, I think sometimes we tend to, and you know, it's what we do. We're podcast that airs five days a week for most of the year examining a football team that plays 16 games a year. So, of course, we're going to analyze. We're going to overanalyze. But I don't want to go too crazy. The question is, should the Jets have done this? Yes. The question, is this a big deal? Is it a, you know, something worth getting upset over? Is it the type of move that shows that the GM doesn't know what he's doing? My answer to that, all of, the, all of those questions would be no. And I think you know, ultimately, when you look at these moves Joe Douglas has made so far, we're going to be honest, most of them have not worked out. But the real work begins this offseason. The real work begins with showing he's got a vision and showing whether he can implement the vision. Those things are more important than getting one move right or one move wrong. You know, you look back at some of the bad Jets GMs of recent memory, they all had individual good moves. The issues were lack of vision and lack of ability to execute a vision. And that's those are the things Joe Douglas will, will be judged on more than, you know, did he get a day three pick out of Robbie Anderson? Locked on Jets podcast here on a mailbag Thursday. Our next question in free agency. One of the biggest neglects on the roster is the number two quarterback. What would your max price a year be for a backup? And in a heavy free agent class for backups, who would your top guy be? In no particular order, Blake Bortles, Chad Henney, and Case Keenum are probably the top three quarterbacks in free agency. Although none of those options is very good, if we're going to be honest with you. I'm not sure. I guess you know, Keenum's a guy I've always liked a little bit. So, I mean, I guess he's kind of a viable backup, but are any of those guys really somebody you could trust 
I think in when you're talking about backup quarterbacks, you, you go back to what I said in the first segment about an average quarterback. If you can find a guy who's like average or maybe a little bit below average and you put him in the right surroundings, you put the, a good team around him and not ask him to do any of the heavy lifting, you know, a guy like a Nick Foles. Nick Foles is an ideal backup quarterback for a team like the Philadelphia Eagles where they can put him in the right circumstances and win games with him. Nick Foles in Jacksonville is not any good where he has to carry the load, where he has to do it all himself. That's not a very good player. Um, so, you know, ultimately none of these guys is that good. And honestly, I kind of feel like to draft – it's not so much the money as much as these guys just aren't that good. And I think – for me, like, I think you do one of two things. You either try and find a young guy in the draft and, you know, try and find, find a backup quarterback that way or – I don't understand why teams don't try, just try and figure out another way to do it on offense. You know, do something like it, go out and get like an option quarterback. Because when your backup quarterback goes in, I know people are going to be skeptical of that idea. But when your backup quarterback goes in, your playbook changes anyway. So why not, instead of like running the 33rd best version of the typical NFL offense, why don't you get a guy, go out and get find a quarterback for cheap who like runs a different type of offense, like an option offense, and run the best version of that? Because Otherwise, you're going out there with guys like Trevor Simeon trying to win games. It's just not going to work. So it's not so much the the, la- the backup quarterback position lacks value as it is the guys out there just aren't that good. I mean, is Blake Bortles going to go in there and save your season? I feel like the answer is no to that. Next question. Assuming you had a good offer, is there anyone conceivably still on the board at 11 for whom you you take rather than trading out? So you know, is there any player, he's on the board, the Jets don't trade out? You know, of course, it depends on the offers. My inclination would be to trade down. I mean, I think if Andrew Thomas is still there at the tackle position, you take him. Maybe if Judy, the receiver from Alabama, is still there. And that's what, that's what makes it a little tricky is that we don't know who's going to be drafted where yet. Remember this time last year, Ja'Kai Polite was still kind of viewed in some circles as a first-round pick. So the process will play itself out. And there's always, you know, it seems like every year there's some guy you don't expect to fall who ends up falling out of the top 10. So we don't know who's going to fall out of the top 10. You know, there may be some great prospect available. It's difficult to say. I think in general, especially for a team where the Jets are, where they need more picks, you look to trade down. But, and I think in general, trading down on the whole is the right move more often than trading up is. But you also have to remember so there's some there's some players where trading where keeping the pick or trading up is the right move. Remember how many picks the Atlanta Falcons gave up back in 2011 to get Julio Jones? Well, that ended up being the right move. All you can talk about are just percentages. You know, playing the percentages, trading down will work out for you more often than trading up will or staying put will. But it, you know, it depends on the player. So yeah, look, there are players like again, Andrew Thomas would be a guy who it would take a lot for me to trade down. You know, or, you know, again, like a Judy, maybe at wide receiver. And I'm still kind of early in the evaluation process. So these are not my final decisions. These are not my final grades yet. Um, you know, there's, there could be other guys who enter the mix in this sense. You know, there could be, I could, there could be a guy maybe a few weeks from now, I'd tell you, yeah, well, there's this guy I've started studying who I really like, who I'd, who I'd stay at 11 for. Or me, or maybe I watch Thomas or Judy a little bit deeper and say, you know, these guys aren't that good. But you know, those it would be one of those guys, like a number one receiver, or a an or a tackle, and maybe an edge rusher. I think those three positions, if there's somebody really good available, you know, one of the, the top guy at that position still available, then you you might look at keeping the pick. I think I think that's what I'd say on that front. Next question is Kelvin Beecham overrated by Jets fans, or is he a keeper? Beecham's final grade from PFF is 67.1. Take that in context. It's notable in that the second 
pick of the draft, a former bust, Greg Robinson's final grade is 66.9. All right, first of all, like I got to be honest with you, the pro football focus does a lot of good things. Their grades are not something I buy into a whole lot. I agree, I buy into their stats. There's, there's a difference between their stats and their grades. Their stats are objective. Their grades, they don't explain how they get to. So, like, a stat would be something like a running back's yards after contact. Or for, like, a tackle, it would be how many sacks did he allow. The grades are just, like, this one from number one to 100 system that they can't explain. And you get stuff like Trumaine Johnson in 2018 was good if you, if you follow those grades. So, I, you know, I'm not a big believer in those grades. The question is, is Kelvin Beecham overrated or is he a keeper? Um... I'd say neither because I don't think he's overrated by Jets fans. I mean, I think a lot of Jets fans. I think he might be underrated by some Jets fans because you'd think he was kind. Of, you'd think he was was no good at all if you listen to a lot of Jets fans. I'm not sure he's a keeper either. I think what he is, he's a stopgap. He's a guy who can give you credible play at left tackle, and that's a type of position where you need at least credible play. If you have a bad guy at left tackle, it'll, it'll destroy your offense. So I think the fact he's a credible left tackle, that's a good thing. I don't think he's a long-term solution, though. He's not an elite-level left tackle. He's not a guy you can just trust one-on-one against the elite pass rushers of the league. You saw that against Miles Garrett this year. So I think he's a guy who can get you by for like a year or two, and now the Jets are entering year four. There needs to be a better plan going forward, but I think he's a guy you you keep as a bridge player for another year, but I don't think he's a long-term keeper. Next question, hypothetical situation. Round four, you're on the clock. Would you draft Anthony Gordon, the quarterback out of Washington State? You know, I haven't studied Gordon yet, so I probably will going forward. But I'll I'll go back to what I said a little bit earlier about the backup quarterback position. I would not hesitate to draft a quarterback because, you know, the guys who are available in free agency are guys who are not that good. They're guys who most most cases failed somewhere else as a starter and are not starting level material. If they're not starting level material, I mean, how much can you really count on them if they're called on to play in a game? So I'd look more for backup quarterback. And you know, people talk about. I just think the way people talk about backup quarterbacks are weird. And I've said this before, but you know, when Sam Darnold got mono, people were saying, and I was one of them. They said the season's over. But then they, I, I, you can't have it both ways. You can't say the season's over when your quarterback, your starting quarterback, goes down, and then say, well, you don't want to invest too much in the backup quarterback position. If it's that important, you know, there was an old story about the Hall of Fame executive Ron Wolf, and they had this game when he was in Green Bay where the, you know, they suffered a bunch of injuries at the quarterback position. And he said, you know, we can never allow this to happen again. We need to have as many good quarterbacks as possible because you, your backup quarterback is a premium guy. He's a guy who can save your season or, or your season can sink as a result of having, you know, depending on the quality of the guy you have. So with that in mind, I, I don't see how you can ever look at the situation and say, don't invest in a quarterback so I'll, I'll have to get back to you on gordon himself i mean i have not studied him at all but yeah i think the jets should absolutely look at drafting a quarterback to back sam up because they i don't know how else you're going to find the guy i mean it's not certainly not i don't think it's going to be just some journeyman veteran i think you have to find try and find somebody in the draft who can play credible football Locked on Jets podcast on the mailbag Thursday. Thanks to everybody who sent in your questions today. We're getting to as many of them as we can. And apologies if your question's not answered. You can send it in next week. Um, if you were commissioner of the NFL and could make three changes, what would they be? It could be rule changes, schedule changes, or CBA changes. That's a good question. That's a re- really good question. And 
I think the first thing I'd say, and you know, I have more than three if I was to become commissioner. The first thing I would say is the NFL has done what I would say is a disgraceful job of taking care of older players who have medical issues. And these are players who help build the league into the powerhouse it is, the, the financial powerhouse it is. The league has the resources to help these guys out. The NFL should do right by these guys. I think that that's, that's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is I would get any sort of disciplinary matter out of the commissioner's office because it is it just seems to me to be such a ridiculous conflict of interest because technically the commissioner is employed by the teams and yet he's he has so much power when it comes to discipline in the league and the punishments are handed out it seems like they really seems like they're very arbitrary in some cases they're swayed by the media they're swayed by you know how much attention and issues get it. There's just so many issues where you look back and you compare punishments for, for one matter and another. And it just seems like the league's totally inconsistent. I would try and create like an independent body, like kind of like maybe a mock court, a moot court system where you bring in guys with legal backgrounds. Like, I don't know if it's a retired judge or somebody with legal expertise or a, a bunch of people with like legal expertise to hear these cases because these guys like understand like how precedent is established they understand how to how to read the rules and apply them and it i think it would be much less arbitrary and again i think it would take i think it would be better for the commissioner to not have to deal with this get this off his plate and again like i think it's a ridiculous conflict of interest and my third thing and this is a, this kind of will will le lead itself to to other changes and i'm assuming that i don't know if i'd be able to do this as commissioner but i'm assuming i'm also assuming that you're giving me incredible power like unknowable power i would get these owners out of the league i think that these owners have just made the league so i, I the, the, these guys have have taken the league away from the fans and i think the nfl needs to get get the league back to the fans these guys are these owners are so out of touch they're a bunch of billionaires they don't they can't relate to the typical fan they don't know what the fan wants and the nfl's become so entrenched that it doesn't matter how badly these guys run the league they still make money. It doesn't matter how stupid they are. It doesn't matter how out of touch they are. It doesn't matter how badly they treat the fans. The NFL is so entrenched and the fan base is so loyal. They make money anyway. So they, there's no incentive for them to do right by the fan. And I think that they've really, they've really done themselves a disservice. They've really done the league a disservice by the way they've acted on so many issues. So I'd figure out a way to get rid of them. And, I, you know, there are a couple of ways you I would come to mind. I'd cre you know, you could create a situation like they have in German soccer where over at least uh, where over half the team has to be owned by regular people like regular fans it's not exactly like that but i don't really want to go into the intricacies of german soccer ownership rules but it's something to the effect of regular fans have to own at least uh, over half the team or maybe something like there's a referendum every three years on ownership and the ownership could be forced to sell but i'd force these guys to be buy bought out I'd force these guys to be bought out because in so many areas, the league is just so out of touch. The league is so behind the times, whether you want to talk about, you know, technology, watching the game, you want to talk about the having try and stream a game. I mean, the NFL is the most difficult league in the league. You can find the stream games on your phone, just basic, basic things that make the fan experience more enjoyable or, 
you know, just the stadium experience. The stadiums are terrible in the league. I mean, you ever try? You ever go to MetLife Stadium? It's just not a good experience to go to MetLife Stadium between the traffic, between the seats themselves, and you know these these stadiums, these team, these stadiums are built, and these are like monuments to greed, if nothing else. I mean, these teams hold cities hostage. They threaten to leave, and they get these ridiculous palaces built. And they benefit the team. They don't benefit anybody else. And I, you know, I think back to a few years ago, the in Vancouver, they had a stadium that was renovated. They so in the interim, while the stadium, while the big stadium in Vancouver was renovated, the soccer team and the CFL team played in this temporary stadium. They built this temporary stadium. It cost fourteen point four million dollars, which is like one percent of what some of these huge new stadiums cost they had great sight lines it was a really great experience for 14 million dollars they built a temporary stadium for the canadian football team and the soccer team that that played there it was a wonderful experience so i'd get a you know i'd I'd try and get teams out of those these ridiculous stadiums they're in now and try and build even if you can build a good stadium for much less than teams are paying you don't need to pay hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to build a stadium that fans where fans can enjoy things you know, I'd try and, and when you get these owners out of here, you can make right with cities that the league has done wrong to, like Oakland or San Diego or St. Louis, and put expansion teams in there. I just think the owners in this league are so out of touch. I think that they have been such an impediment. And when you get out, when you get them out of there, you can cure a commissioner could cure a lot of the problems. So yeah, I'd try and bring the NFL into the modern age. You know, this is a league right now. Again, you, it's tough to stream games. It's all on network. We're in the year 2020. And this is a league that makes its money selling its TV rights to network TV. But for, for the most part, I know they have an ESPN contract and they have a you know Thursday night football contract, but it's it just boggles the mind the way the owners operate in this league and i think that it's it's just it's a shame the tip fans can't afford to go to games i mean you, you know what you know what the price is to go to a game it's ridiculous i mean yeah it's nice that teams hold training camp for fans who can't afford to go to games why should fans have to choose that why should fans i mean you what this league can't do good business and for and give fans an affordable way to go to a football game? I don't buy that. I don't buy that for a second. I understand it's a business. I understand you're trying to maximize profits. I don't understand how the NFL it finds it impossible to both, A, make money, and B, pre- present a an affordable product. It makes no sense to me, and it's the owners. And honestly, it's the way these guys are out of touch. And they say they feel bad. They say they feel guilty. I'm sure they do on some level. They don't feel guilty enough, though, to make to actually change things and make the give the game back to the fans and make it a more enjoyable experience for the fans. Anyway, I'm sorry we're ending the show on, t- on me ranting about the owners, but that is all for today. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you like our show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Hope you have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll be back again tomorrow.